0: Lord, you are the the hope of our lives. You are the, the way, the truth, and the life. And we're here to celebrate what you're doing this morning. God, you've been doing things that only you can do. And you've graciously invited us to be a part of that with you. And we just thank you. We're here to have a party this morning and just rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. What I said in my prayer this morning is how I see this morning. This is a party. It's a celebration of what God's been doing in hearts and lives around us. We got a couple baptisms coming at the end of our service this morning. Yeah, two, two women who have given their lives to Jesus, that Jesus has saved, brought out of darkness into the light. We're going to launch and pray over leaders of a new missional community that have the desire to spread that word to other people and I just want to have the attitude of our hearts smiling our our faces smiling our our bodies and voices just giving praise to God I don't know if we do that enough in church (laughs) I think sometimes we get the wrong perception of church I'll never forget a time a buddy of mine another pastor and I did a couple baptisms and during the process we laughed and we smiled and we talked about how wonderful it was and we were joking around and it was, it was a party because that's what it was to us and got to the lobby only to realize that we were going to be confronted by someone that said, I was really offended by the tone of that service. I feel like baptisms ought to be a somber occasion. Like I think you missed what, what's going on in baptism because when I read Luke 15 and other passages in the New Testament, I read about a God who celebrates when one sinner comes home to Jesus. And I don't imagine him celebrating like this. I imagine him smiling and enjoying what's going on in the lives of people that have been reached through his son Jesus Christ. So that that's the whole tone I want to take this morning, a tone of celebration, knowing that that God is celebrating with us. And it's okay to smile, and it's okay to laugh, and it's okay. To clap your hands and just rejoice in what God's doing. When I think of what God does, I just wanted to set the tone with a passage from Scripture in Psalm 40, because I can't think of another passage that, that sums up the way God works in our lives better than this one. Psalm 40, often when it comes to God God's work in our individual lives, it starts when we to the place where we cry out to him for help, right? Psalm 40 verse one says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. And I wonder as you think back over your own life, maybe you're there right now, if you've ever cried out to God when you found yourself in a situation where you just knew you couldn't get through it on your own. Uh, it might have been a financial hardship. It might have been a health issue. It might have been a relationship falling apart. Loss of a loved one. It, it might be the ultimate situation where we look at our sin and we realize that I cannot get right before God on my own. I need a savior. And so you cry out to him. You know what crying out to God requires? Humility. Humility requires an acknowledgement that I can't do this on my own. And that's a key part of it because there's a statement in the Bible that's set in stone, just like the law of gravity is set in stone. It says God opposes the proud. The idea there is that as long as we're willing to look at God and say, no thanks, I'm the God of my universe. I've got this. I don't need you. He's willing to let us try that out. Thank God for the second part of that verse. It says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we acknowledge our need, he's, he's ready and willing to give us grace. Jesus told a parable about this that, that summed it up as well as any. And I wonder which of the two men you relate to in your life this morning. One was a deeply religious guy, looked up to by all the people around him. The other one was hated by his community because he was a tax collector. He stole from his own people. Jesus told a parable about him. He said, two men, Luke 18, verse 10, went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. That's a religious guy. And the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed Listen, about himself. Some, some translations even say that he prayed to himself. <laughs> and listen to his prayer. You can hear the pride. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. And he starts to give God a list of all that he does. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Look, God, look how good I am. Look what all I do verse 13 but the tax collector stood at a distance he would not even look up to heaven he he knew his sin right He, he beat his breast and he said God have mercy on me a sinner very different approach and you see what Jesus says is the point in verse 14 I tell you that this man the tax collector Rather than the other, went home justified before God. To be justified before God means to be made right before God. It was a task collector, not the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Crying out to God, receiving his grace, requires a humility on our part to admit that we need it. That's the cry. Listen to God's answer in Psalm 40, verse 2. So beautiful. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And I love the pictures here. He calls it a slimy pit. You know the thing about slimy pits? If you imagine yourself in a deep pit and there's slime all over the walls, you know the thing with that? You can't climb out on your own because it's. It's slimy, and, and you try, and you find yourself falling face down in the mud and the mire at the bottom. That's where David was in his life, and, and maybe you felt yourself there before in your own life. I think the way we feel it the most is with the guilt of our sin. The biggest pit we've all dug, stated like this in Romans three twenty three: For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All is a big word. That doesn't leave an exception for any of us. And we all fall short. You say, how does God lift us out? I think of Romans 5, 8. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, just about every other religion... Way of life out there tells you, you've got to do this and this and this to climb your way to God. That's trying to climb out of the slimy pit. God says, no, I'll come to where you are, my son, Jesus Christ. He'll live among you. He'll, he'll live in the world that's filled with sin. He'll be tempted and yet not give into it. He'll live the only perfect life that's ever been known for a human. He's fully God, fully human. He'll give his life on a cross with your sins upon him to pay the price for your sins and he'll rise again. That was God's rescue plan for pulling us out of the slimy pit. Our role in that is only to trust in that. That's the beauty of it. I had a lot of talk with a lot of people the past couple of weeks about surrendering to that. Allowing him to be that savior. Trusting in what he's done. When we do that He lifts us out of that slimy pit. And you look at the contrast. It says, He set our feet, set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. No more slimy pit. No more falling down in the mud and the mire and trying and failing and trying and failing. It's a firm foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. It's firm because it's all about what He did, not about what you and I do. Next couple verses, and we'll just get through verse 10 here. You see the responses of people that have been lifted out of that slimy pit and put on that rock. The first one is this uncontrollable desire to praise God. Look at verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. All of a sudden, where desperation and hopelessness and darkness was, there's this joy that can't help but, but bubble out because you've been lifted out of the pit by a God who's mighty to save. In the New Testament, Ephesians 5.19 says, this is one sign that you're filled with the Spirit of God. Listen to how Paul wrote it. Ephesians 5.19. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart the Lord. When you find those songs bubbling out of you of praise to God, whether you're driving down the road, listening to the radio shine, taking your shower, work, whatever, those songs bubbling out of you are a sign that he's at work in your life. And that's a beautiful thing. And it says at the end of that verse, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. What that means is when they see someone that was hopeless and given up on life, and discouraged now filled with these songs coming out of them they're like something changed here they're going to see that and it says they'll, they'll fear that means they'll be in awe of what's going on and, and they'll put their trust in the Lord that transformation in our lives is one of the things God uses to bring others to himself this praise goes on in verse 4 blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust who does not look to the proud to those who turn aside to false gods. No more counting on other people as our ultimate source of hope. No more counting on the idols of money or fame or comfort. I put my trust in God now. Then he starts to look at all the things God's done, and maybe you could do this with him as you look back at your life. He says, many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. You say that, right? You look back at your life and say, wow, look at all these things God has done up to this point in my life. And then he starts to look forward. Think about this. He says, the things you planned for us, things that are planned and have not yet happened, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. The idea here is not only has God been at work in the past, when he looks down at his children, he's got such good plans for your future. And there's so many of them that it, there's just not time to even say them. He's got that kind of love and plan for your life. So worship's one natural response. The second of the three is obedience. Obedience to what he wants in our lives, what he commands in our lives. This comes from verse, verses 6 through 8. First he's going to talk, talk about external religion, going through the motions. Sacrifice an offering you did not desire. It's like, I'm not interested in just your external worship, okay? I'm not interested in just you coming to church every week. I'm not interested in just you giving in the offering plate. I'm not interested in you just going through these motions. But a body you have given me, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come and it's written about me in the scroll. And here, here's what ought to be the cry of the heart of everyone who's come to Jesus. Verse eight, I desire to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. It's not I have to do your will. It's not I'll do it if they make me and because people are watching me. It's I desire from the inside out to do what you want in my life, God. Now, you may hear that and say, why would I risk that? Why would I say that to God? thats I've got my plans, my ways, my dreams. I don't want to surrender all that. That's scary. And we all relate to that, right? Surrendering everything, why should I do that? You should do that because we find out a thousand years later when the author of Hebrews wrote his letter, he looked back at this passage, these very verses... He says, ultimately, before we get to our own obedience, this is about the obedience of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Listen to this in Hebrews 10, verse 5. When Christ came into the world, Jesus came into the world, he said, and then it goes on to say these verses, sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. He gave his son a body, a human body. You prepared that for me, Father. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you are not pleased. All that external worship that's been going on for years could not cover the sin. It didn't do it. Then I said, Jesus said, here I am, Father. It is written about me. I have come to do your will, O God. You say, what was the will of the Father for his son? Hebrews 10, verse 12. When this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That was the Father's will for Jesus Christ. One sacrifice for all time, for all of our sins. Verse 14, by one sacrifice he is made perfect forever. Listen to this. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. you trusted in what Jesus did on that cross. You're standing before God when he looks at you. Your legal standing before him is perfect. That's how he sees you. And the second part says he makes perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's the reality that while my standing is perfect, my life is catching up. And I'm being made to match that standard more and more. It's a process. But what a what a cool thing. And when you look at his obedience... On the cross, in your place, that answers the question, why should I surrender my life to God? Because he gave his life for me. It makes sense. Romans 12, 1 says it this way. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. In other words, when you look at the cross, I urge you in view of that to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, meaning God here's my body that you've given me, my life, my resources, they're yours. Whatever you call me to, they're yours. Holy and pleasing to God. And then he says, this is your spiritual act of worship. Some translations say, this is your reasonable act of worship. It's reasonable because of what he did for us. And as somebody I talked to this week put it, how can I resist him? when he's done so much for me? I think that's a great question for us all to think about. So we cry, God answers, we praise, we obey. And finally, there's this burning desire to tell others what he's done in our lives. Verses 9 and 10 in Psalm 40. Listen to all the speaking words in here. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. You get the idea that he wants to talk about what God has done in his life. And you look at the attributes of God here. He is righteous. He's holy. He wants to talk about that. He's faithful. He does not give up on us. He wants to talk about that. He saves those who come to him through Jesus. He wants to talk about that. He loves and he is truth. He never goes back on his word. Those are things that he can't help but talking about. And that's the attitude I want this morning to be all about. Maybe you've already cried out to Jesus and you just want to celebrate along with those new new believers that we hear from this morning. And it reminds you of when you first did that. Thank God for that moment in your own life. Maybe you're here, you're saying, wow, I've never cried out to Jesus like that. For me, it's been all about me. I've been on the throne of my life. I've, I've been proud. I'd encourage you to look at what Jesus has done for you and hear the stories that are told this morning and say, wow. I I trust in that, too. We're going to celebrate. In just a moment, I'd like to invite Paul and Kitty up here. I'm going to say a prayer. Why don't you guys come up while I pray. We're going to tell you about one thing God's doing with them. Lord, we thank you for this passage from your word. We thank you that you're a God who answers our cry. And your ultimate answer is your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, just through the baptisms, through our singing, through our response to your word... We want to respond like the psalmist did. We want to respond with praise to you. We want to respond by giving you all of our lives in obedience. And we want to respond by telling others what you've done, God. So thank you for being a God who lifts us up out of the slimy pit and gives us a firm place to stand. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that was mentioned in that psalm is that he had a desire to tell other people what God had done in his life. And that's what our missional communities are designed to do. They're designed to be small groups of people that aren't just of believers, by believers, for believers, and that's where it ends. They're called to be lights in our community that spread the love of Jesus to their neighborhood and, and organizations and people out there. And uh, Paul and Kitty are longtime friends of ours from the Heights Church. We work together on staff at the Heights. Paul is a missionary pastor at the heights church and works a lot with their hispanic ministry kitty works up at the va and prescott and love these guys they went through our last uh missional community leader training they said they wanted to launch a missional community in pv with maria who many of you may know from our church she works with the kids and uh they're just about to launch that what day are when are you guys launching what day and time and all that
1: Maria's the one that's got the details. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> it's in two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks, Wednesday.
0: Okay, so we'll, we'll get that up on the website after we talk to Maria. Yeah. Can you guys share just a little bit of what's God putting on your heart? Why now? Why where you're at? What what is? What are the hopes and dreams for that group that God's laid on your heart? I'll
1: let you, I'll let you talk first. You want me to talk? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just excited about... Um, Being a part of a group that's on mission. Yeah. Um, And I I guess a a particular point that I'm, there's Maria, come on up, that I'm excited about is just seeing what each individual, the resources that we have as a group. Um, I think of Moses when God said he wanted to use them, and he said, what do you have in your hand? A rod, throw it down. we got to release what we have to his service, and then it becomes useful. As long as we're holding on to it, it's you know, it's not. We have to give it to God. So, we're excited about that, um, about seeing what, how our group is going to impact the community, and what resources we're, we have. So, I'll turn it over to my wife here. I didn't prepare anything. So you can give me the elbow. And I, you know, we've, we've been getting together with Maria before and working with Hispanic people, and we saw that our neighborhood isn't full of Hispanics. <laughs> And yet we're flexible. We'll reach anybody. And I just figure that, you know, when God gives you a position or or puts you in a place that you bloom there,